And so let's pray. Let's open in prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much that our lives are in your hands. Lord, that uh, anything that you allow to happen to us, you assure us that it will be used for our good and that you will be glorified. Help us to see as you see. Help us to see you in the midst of the storms, the trials, the desert experiences, that you are there and that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. That's Ephesians chapter 3. Now to Paul, to, to preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make known to all men. That was his, his passion. And again, Paul would say, and we'll see later on, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Every one of us here are to preach the gospel. Now that word preach simply means proclaim. When you sing again the songs in worship, in a sense, you're proclaiming Jesus Christ. You're proclaiming your faith, that you believe in him. You can sing at him or you can sing to him. And when we're proclaiming, really we're proclaiming to him who he is and the world is watching. People are walking by. They hear what's going on. We've only been here a short time, let's say. And then people will hear the word of God. You may be sharing with someone quietly at a table at a restaurant and someone behind you may turn to you and recognize there's, there's something different going on. It may even ask the question, I've had that happen before. We are to proclaim the gospel. And that's what Paul was called to do, to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and that they would understand it in a way that they could explain it to others. Let's read our text. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was not made known to me the mystery as I wrote before brief. But referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the ministration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through the faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. I titled this message, as you see, The Mystery Revealed. The Mystery Revealed. And, and it's really there in, in that Paul calls himself the, the prisoner of the mystery in the first four verses. The apostle opens his section, and, and notice what he says in verse 1, for this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. The phrase for this reason really looks back to what we saw last week. It was actually in chapter 2, verse 15, we saw the person of Christ becomes a new man. When you are placed in Christ, you are a new man. And then in verse 16, all believers are in one body and of the same body. There's a, a unity and a oneness in Christ. And then in verse 17, we saw the Gentiles who were once far away now become near when they believe. And in verse 19, we saw all believers are equally citizens. And that's important to understand. Citizens of God's kingdom, and not only God's kingdom, but a member of God's family. And then in verses 21 and 22, we saw all believers are being built into God's holy temple. Now, Paul knew the the value of repetition and teaching. And and that's something that sometimes people struggle on is, is the repetition, or you already said that, or, or Paul already said that, or people have said, I've heard that already. You know, the, the reality is, if you're really the sharpest cookie around, you're lucky if you remember 10% of what you hear. 10%. I think I'm about 4%. I don't know about you. But that repetition helps me to remember. There's some things that are easier to grasp, to latch on to, to hold on to, but some things we're going to see are harder. Peter will say that about Paul's teaching. But So what he does is he reiterates what is called a difficult truth. It's truth revealed in that generation, and again it's said to the holy apostles and prophets, that wasn't revealed before, and that's important to understand. Look with me at John 6. 60. Notice what it says, therefore many of the disciples, when they heard this, it says, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Speaking about Jesus, Jesus was speaking. It's a difficult. Unless you're born again, there's a lot of things you'll never understand. And even when you're a believer, it's building precept upon precept upon precept. God is building The teaching sometimes of these mysteries is difficult and we need those little building blocks to continue to build and then all of a sudden the pieces come together. Look at 2 Peter again. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you in verse 16, it says, and also in all of his letters speaking in them all these things in which some things are hard to understand. That was, again, the apostle Peter, it was hard to to understand. Now God has given us his Holy Spirit and we need as we're studying the word of God to be praying, God, 
give me understanding. Give me illumination. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that opens your mind. It's the Holy Spirit that will connect. And we need to be praying and continually seeking. And he reveals those things to us. So Paul says, I'm a prisoner. A prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now Paul was arrested, if you remember, on false charges made by the Jews in the province of Asia. And for two years he was under arrest in Caesarea and then three years in Rome. And it's during Paul's Roman time that he's in jail here and he's under what we call house arrest. Now this house arrest meant he had to rent this house. His friends had to pay for the house while he's waiting to go before Caesar. Now it's interesting because it meant during the day he had the freedom to go around. He could share, share with people. People were coming to hear. They heard the message, what he was proclaiming. Proclaiming what? The gospel, the truth. And people were coming from all over to hear Paul's message. But at nighttime, they would take him and they would chain him. And they would chain him to a soldier that he couldn't run away. He was under what was called house arrest. And it's here that he is writing this letter. These are called prison epistles. Now it's important to understand that he sees himself not again a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. He knew that he had a a mission. Rome had no control over him. He knew that he would go before Caesar. And he knows that God was going to use this for good. And you know, it's it's important to understand that, that Paul has this perspective that he's looking at. He's looking through God's eyes. He's looking that God's using this circumstance for good. Oftentimes when we're in a difficult situation, we look at it through our our eyes, our our fleshly eyes, our emotional eyes. And we begin to to react on it. But Paul has a different perspective. He sees himself, again, not a prisoner of Rome, but of Christ. He sees that his boss, the one that he's accountable to, the one that he's responsible to, is the one that's in charge. That's God. It's not Rome. And that's true for you and me where you work. You're not, again, you're in a sense responsible to that boss you're working for, but who's your real boss? Jesus Christ. You work to be the very best employee to glorify God in that place. That's what Paul did. He lived for the glory of the Lord. And he had that perspective that, God, if you're going to allow me to go through this situation, there's something that you're going to do. Perspective is very, very important. You know, we, how we view it, how we react to it. How we react to it is actually more important than the circumstances because the world is watching you and me how we react to a difficult time. Has anyone ever got a ticket? Thou shall not lie. Come on. Almost everyone here has got a ticket. You sinners. Now, imagine you're getting stopped by a policeman and the policeman stops you and he's really stopping you for your own good. Maybe you were going too fast or maybe your taillights were out. If you look at it in a positive way, oftentimes you'll be able to share the gospel message. 
I've got a ticket, I must confess. And I was able to share the gospel one time with someone. I said, officer, you're right. When I saw that red light go on and I looked down at the dash, I knew I was busted. And I began to say, you know, and what's really embarrassing, I'm a pastor. And I know I shouldn't have been doing this. But I was unaware. And then one thing led to another. Now, I don't encourage you to go out and get a ticket just so you can share the gospel. But the perspective, you know, God allowed these things. I could have been yelling. I I could have been cussing. Not me, but uh, you know what I mean. Perspective is very important. God, you put them there for me. Use me for your glory. In every and single situation. Think of the apostle Peter. Remember when he was walking on the water? Lord, if it's you, just just call me. And he begins to walk out on the water. No, I'm not going to walk out there. And all of a sudden, things are fine. I, I believe he's just kind of stoked and just kind of dancing as he's going across the water. And then pretty soon he sees the waves and he goes down for the count. His perspective in the beginning was looking at Jesus. And then he allowed, again, the waves to get between him and Jesus. That's what happens in every circumstance. When we keep our eyes locked upon the author and finisher of our faith, we see things with a different perspective. And that's exactly what, again, Peter was doing, Paul was doing. Paul knew that his ministry, his life, was in the very hands of God, not in Rome. He knew that he would go before He knew to be absent, the bodies to be present with the Lord. It wasn't again in the hands of the persecutors, the jailers, the guards. No. The hands of God. Your life is the hands of God. And what will we do with that life? Will we commit that life to Him? Will we trust in Him? Will we walk through this life with a perspective in a divine perspective that God is in control and that God can live in us and through us and God can use us. Certainly Paul understood that because think about it when he wrote Romans eight twenty eight. He says, we know, he knows from experience, he's saying here, that God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He knew that all things work for the good. Sometimes when we're in a difficult, hard place, we don't want to think, is this this good? No, it's only bad. But he knew the outcome of this. That's why James also would write later on, consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of faith produces endurance. The perspective. God is in control of your future. Your destiny is in his hands. You have that that free will to choose, to experience the fullness of God, the joy of God, the work of God in your life, or you can rebel against God. Well, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, follow with me. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that 
that most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul knew when he was in prison, and it's the same imprisonment, that God was using it, using it in the life of the believers because all the other believers were watching and now they're bold and sharing their faith, trusting and having peace and resting in the Lord. Perspective. Sometimes we get where we go, oh, it's me, oh, am I. Or we can trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. Again, Paul said earlier, it turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. See, if you have that eternal perspective, that divine perspective, your concern is about the gospel. Your concern is about the glory of God. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't always think about the glory of God. I don't always think about the gospel. You understand what I mean in your own life? We get caught up. We get sidetracked. We begin to be so focused on this world that we again are not focused on the heavenly thing. Paul decided and make a commitment to the Lord that he was going to set himself apart. Now, all of you today that are believers are saints. That means that God has set you apart for his glory. You are to be a vessel of honor. Now, position, you are a saint holy. Practically, It's something that you need to make that decision. God, I want to be set apart for your purposes. This life I live is no longer I, but it's Christ who lives through me, that we let him live through us, that we're living in light of God's glory. We're living in light of eternity, that this is only preparation for all eternity. And what you allow for him to work in your life will prepare you for that time. Now, Paul was in prison, he says, For Christ's saving purpose is really what he's saying, for the sake of the Gentiles. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. Gentile translates into another word today, pagan. That's what they were, pagans, in their eyes. His ministry was set apart for the Gentiles. He loved his brethren, the Jews, if you remember, so much he would give up his own salvation if it was possible And wherever he would go, he would go to a synagogue for three Sabbaths, but his real ministry was to the Gentiles, to those that had never heard the good news. Notice again in Acts 9, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Now this is Ananias, again, after after the Damascus Road experience, Paul is taken away and And again, Ananias is told to go and pray over him and the the scales would fall off his eyes. And again, he is a chosen instrument of mine, God's saying. He is mine. You too are a chosen instrument of God. A Christian, his life is not his own. Our lives are really in Christ. We too are slaves. We have given our lives over to Jesus Christ if we've made him the Lord of our life. And that's what Paul is sharing. Look with me again in Colossians Colossians 1, verse 25 and 26. Of this church, I was made a 
a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit so that I might carry out the preaching or the proclaiming of the word of God that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his sons. Go back to verse 25 and look there at that word minister. That means a table waiter, someone who is a servant. Paul saw himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also a servant of everyone else. I am your servant. In reality, you're a servant of one another. We are to serve one another in love. The word actually is the same word that's used for deacon. Not just a minister or preaching the gospel, but every person who is a servant, again, remember, proclaims the gospel. His is just, he is going to share this special revelation that's given to him. Now it's interesting, again, the, the word, if, is an interesting word. And sometimes the, the word will be translated if, or could be since, in our text there, going back to the text. Indeed, or if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which is given to me for you. Now, the word would be better translated where we would understand in English, since indeed you've heard, not if in the condition if you've heard. No, the very fact of the the grammar indicates that they already did know of the stewardship. They'd already heard about what God was doing in his life. And that's important to understand. Paul now is beginning to give a a parenthetical passage. He goes back to chapter 2, begins to deal with it, reiterate things. He starts wanting to pray, but the prayer doesn't begin until verse 14. But he goes back and he says, well, we need to do more. We need to talk about this more. I want to give you a greater understanding because these things are hard to understand. If indeed you heard, assuming again it's true, Paul was saying again, since you've already heard. The stewardship of God's grace, which was given to Paul, was on behalf of the Gentiles. God had set Paul apart for the Gentiles to minister. God has set you and me apart to bring the gospel to the world. Again, the Jew first, and then the Gentile. And we need to be able to understand the scripture when God brings someone in our life to be able to share to them. But yet we share with whoever God brings into our life. Now, Stuart, it's important to understand, is to to be responsible. He's to take care of all the things that belong to his master. It, It means he's a supervisor. He's to oversee the buying, the selling, the bookkeeping, the harvesting, the storing. In that culture, that's what they were doing. Paul's saying, I'm the steward. The steward of the, the good news, the gospel. And by the way, you and I are stewards of this gospel. There are believers before you and me that have been stewards of the very word of God. And this is so interesting that when persecution was so bad, many of them ran to an area which is called Cappadocia. It's in Turkey. And they went into caves and they went down what would be 25 stories down into the ground. And they began to copy the word again and again and again. 
And that word was kept alive until this period of time that it could be handed on to that next generation until, until the persecution stopped. We have the, the scenes during the Jewish period of time that, that separated themselves and copied the scriptures. And again, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they authenticate the word of God perfectly. The only changes would be maybe in the way of a spelling, but the pronunciation would be a little different. But the word was the same thing. Stewards. Stewards. Paul didn't choose his apostleship any more than we chose, really, our discipleship. God was the one that drew you with cords of love, called you to himself, and opened your heart. You only had to respond. Say, yes, Lord. I acknowledge my sinfulness, my need of you. I give my life to you. And he begins that work in you and me. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Paul writing again, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, notice, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though as a former blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, Yet I was showing mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul would go on and he would talk about being the, the chiefest sinners, the least of all men. And, and, and yet that's the people that God chooses, the foolish things of the world. And God wants to empower you. God wants to enable you. God wants to use you for his purpose. He wants you to know the joy of being used by him and leading people into the, the kingdom. And our part is to pray and seek him. And God, equip me and give me that boldness. Give me that opportunity to share. Well, Paul was appointed a steward, again, by God's grace. And it's God's grace that appoints you and me and then became a steward of God's grace. Not only was the grace given to him and called him and set him up, but then he became a steward and he would distribute this grace. He would be gracious to those around Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, this is really divine compulsion. Notice what he says again. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is something that God instills in us. And God instills in us Different gifts, abilities, and desires. We can quench that or we can respond to it. The problem is if we try to quench it, we sear that conscience. Paul, though, he kept stirring that conscience. He kept continually putting himself on God. And that, that passion for God, that passion to see people come to the Lord, kept growing and growing and growing. And that's why he says he knows that, that God has called him for this purpose. He's called him for the Gentiles. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's stewardship was unique. It was also revolutionary in that fact that he was given a special message. Notice by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now that's going back to chapter two. He's talking about briefly. That's why he's talking about it again more. Now, obviously, the, the mystery is that of the Jew and the Gentile being one in Christ. To a Jew and Gentile, they could not agree together. 
But God was saying, look, the Jew and Gentile, they're one in Christ. And this is what he wrote about again in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, and uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Now, it was before unknowable. It was incomprehensible. It was truth that was hidden to men until God revealed it at a certain time. Man wasn't ready to hear it. There are things that when I became a Christian that I understood right away, and there's things that have have taken me five years, 10 years, maybe 15 years to understand. God is building precept upon precept upon precept and putting the pieces together that all of a sudden, that one day is like the lights go on. Wow, I've looked at this and I've never saw this before. And God just speaks to you so clearly. And that's exactly what's happening to Paul here. It was Paul's intention, not just to declare this mystery that was given to him, but he wanted to explain it. He wanted them to have the understanding, the insight of this mystery, that they would also be able to share it with others. This spiritual insight is important because once a person has this spiritual insight, then they can have practical application. See, spiritual insight always precedes any practical application. If you try to apply the scripture and you really don't understand the meaning, you're going to get it off 99% of the time. So this insight is important. Now, Paul, again, this is why Paul's love and passion and zeal for the law continued to grow. And, and he, he had this desire to build up the believers. And after he led them to the Lord, he wanted to check on them, make sure they were equipped and protect them from the enemy, from those false shepherds, those wolves that would come in and, and draw them away. See, it was that insight, insight, that great insight is what gave him that passion. The insight into what? The gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, the the church, the mystery, again, of, of, of Jesus Christ and that church. The more that Paul understood, and I believe that's true for you and me, of God's love and God's grace, the more compelled he was to share, exemplify that love, to, to live it out before others, to be that example of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. We really see the the plan of that mystery. Verse 5 says, In other generations, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men. Now, the sons of men speak of mankind in in general, not just God's chosen people of Israel. No, no, it's mankind in general. It was prior to the church age. And no person, not even the greatest prophets, had a glimpse of, of the truth. While it's there in the scripture, they did not understand. And I ask myself so many times, Lord, what is it that I, I don't understand in this scripture that you want me to understand? What is it you, you want me to know? What is it that I'm not listening to you? What's hindering me? Well, one of the things I think that's important is, is, is thinking about this New Testament really is a revelation or revealing of the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. I think there's a lot of things you can't understand in the New Testament unless you have spent time in the Old Testament. 
And people want to study the, sometimes the book of Revelation and they've never read, again, the Old Testament. And, and there's over 400 places in the Old Testament that are brought together in the book of Revelation. And yet they want to explain it and, and, and teach people on it and they really don't even understand. The very heart of God. And we have to be careful. Well, look at Genesis 12, 3. Notice what it says there. And, and you, or in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This was the blessing that was given to Abraham. Now, this was the gospel that was given again. Think about this to Abraham. Abraham didn't understand, but again, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That would be the Jews, and that would be the Gentiles. And that one day they would be one. Now, it was given, but he really didn't understand it completely. Look at Isaiah 49.6. Again, it says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach all the ends of the earth. It was always God's heart that the Gentiles would be saved. That all men would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus. Not all will, but it's the heart of God that all men would come. And it's that, that light, that gospel, that truth, that mystery would be revealed. Look again at Galatians 3, verse 8. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. How was Abraham saved? By faith. It was accredited to him as righteousness when he simply believed God. So it was by faith the person saved, again, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. What is the good news? That all nations will be saved. The provision would be made. It doesn't explain everything, but there, there are passage after passage after passage later that God had a heart for the Gentiles. Read the book of Job and you'll see, here's a man that saved a Gentile. Look at the book of Ruth, and you'll see the same thing. Again, that truth has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, notice in the Spirit. And the Greek behind this has been revealed, again, is this, this is specific acts, specific events. And they're coupled with the now to indicate there's a revelation and it's to the holy apostles of the New Testament and the prophets and no other person. It was at this time and this time alone it was revealed. Look again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says, No prophecy was ever made by human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is a writing of the Scripture. But notice again that last part. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, and spoke from God. And that's that same idea that God is speaking through to these men, and then through these men, and the same Holy Spirit that spoke to them will speak in you and speak through you as you go out boldly, confidently, as you see your friends, your family, come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look again, John 14, verse 25 and 26. It says, These things 
that has spoken to you while abiding with you, this is Jesus, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now he's speaking to the disciples here. They would write out that scripture. The Holy Spirit would bring, they'd be moved along. They would write the words. But notice again, this Holy Spirit is the helper. Anyone need help today? Every day. Help. In time and need. He's there. Though sadly, we try to do things on our own power. We try to, to work it out. And we can't. So God leaves us that place that we're helpless and we cry out to him. And he saves us. Look at verse 6. To be specific, Paul goes on to say that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body. They're, they're one. They're fellow heirs with them. There's this unity and there's going to be this harmony eventually. And they're fellow partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, that's difficult really to realize that truth to the Jews. The Jews, ah, ah. Have you ever got where you, the Bible says something, you don't want to hear it? No, no. Sometimes I don't like what it says. I'm going to be truthful. But I'm not mature enough to understand it. But sometimes we reject the truth in the hardness of our hearts. That's what the Jews were doing. It's not that they didn't know. They just didn't accept the truth. I've opened the word with somebody and I ask them, what does it say? And they tell me what it says. But they say, I don't want to believe that. And I don't want to put my finger in anybody, but I think that could be a little bit of you and me. There are times that we just don't want to accept what it says. One of the ones that stands out more than any time to me, than in any conversation, more than anything else, is the fact is, do not be unequally yoked. Believers and unbelievers should not be yoked together. Whether it be as a business partnership, or in a marriage, or in a dating relationship. Don't go out. You don't know how, what's going to happen with your heart. And oftentimes I've seen people be drawn away from the one they said they love so very much. They say, I, 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 that won't happen to me. And that's that attitude. They weren't willing to accept that God had a heart. And we read those passages, God has a heart for the Gentiles. They weren't willing to accept it. I've heard Christians say, oh, that person's so far away. You know, he's so evil, he'd never come to the Lord. I, he's prime candidate for the grace of God, the mercy of God. Don't say that. Pray. Look to God. Even when the Old Testament taught that the Gentiles would be blessed by God, they were still rejecting it. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. Notice, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Look at Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It'll come about 
after this that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, not the Jews only, but all mankind, that's Jew and Gentile. And they were unwilling. And I think that when I read things like that, I have to stop and I have to ask, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm unwilling to accept in your scripture? And then when God shows me something, I need to confess and I need to repent. And I need then to set up those checks and boundaries. I do not go to that that place again. Now, it's important to understand that the Gentiles, again, they're fellow members now. They're not second-class Christians. How many Jews are here today? You're all Gentiles. See, he was speaking just like that to a Gentile congregation, and the Jews looked at, they were second-class, looked down, lesser. We can, we can also look that way as Gentiles and look down if somebody came in that was homeless or somebody didn't have as much money or wasn't dressed as nice or didn't speak as well and, and looked down upon the people second class. Every child of God is precious in his sight, is holy in his sight. The ground is equal at the cross. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slaves or free, we are all made to drink a one spirit. Again, that's what the scripture is saying. The Gentiles are also fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. And one of those promises is really the promise of the Spirit. That we're one in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 9. We see the, the preaching of the, of the mystery. Well, it's the gospel that's spread by men whom God calls to proclaim it. God calls man to proclaim his gospel. He's given us his great commission and the gospel of which Paul was made of a minister. Now understand that word minister is not pastor. It's deacon. It's a servant. It's as, as, as a slave in a sense. We are a prisoner of Christ. We are to proclaim that gospel. And that is for every single person. There are no exceptions in that. It is the same gospel that Paul is a servant of because it was a gift given, again, as we saw, by the grace and by working of God's power in him. Paul says he's a minister. He's saying, I'm a table worker. I'm the least. And it's interesting, there is no room for self-exaltation. It's not that I'm a pastor and I hold out my hand. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm no better. You're no better. Now Paul's single responsibility, understand, was to be a faithful servant. And it was according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him, and it's according to the working of his power. It's God who puts the desire in our hearts, and as we yield to him, he works through our hearts. Now, a man who is generally called by God, it's important to understand, is in constant danger of losing his effectiveness 
if he begins to see himself more than a servant. Understand that if, if, if we begin to exalt ourselves, if we lead someone to the Lord, oh, and we begin to self-exalt, then we can be set aside, moved aside. That God wants us to humbly be dependent upon him. God will not share his glory with man. When a man loses that sense of servanthood, he loses his spiritual power. He also loses his usefulness for the kingdom. So the greatest danger in any ministry, and all of us are called to to be ministers in some capacity, is really our own personal ambition. Now, we may not think that we have ambition, but if we try to to get up before someone else or call attention to ourselves, we do, or, or that prestige or honor or that reputation, how could they think that, say that about me? We begin to focus on ourselves and, and we can be set aside. Now, Paul's calling his ministry, he knew was God's grace. It was, it was a gift of God. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners and among whom I am foremost of all. <laughs> and I like that because he saw himself as the worst person, the least person. That qualifies you. When you see yourself that way, that qualifies you for ministry. It's not if you've got this gift, I've got this God can use, and I can, God can use me here, and God can... No, no, no. It's, it's humbly coming, just as you are, and say, God, use me. Fill me with your, your grace. Give me the wisdom. That's who God wants to use, is a person that humbly submits to him. Now that term foremost, it's interesting. It means really less than least. He is the the least of least. There is no confidence himself. His confidence and reliance was upon God himself. Well, again, if you think about the story of Judges and, and Gideon, Gideon said in Judges chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, and he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? He says, Behold, my family is the least of Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And the Lord will be with you and be with me. Verse 8 talks about that unfathomable riches of Christ, which include all the truths, all the blessings that are in Christ. Well, that's his kindness, his forbearance, that's his patience, his wisdom, his knowledge, his mercy, his great love. Some of the songs that we're singing, we're just magnifying those, those very things. What about his assurance? The one day that he's coming for you, and for me. That you know that you're going to be with the king one day. His word that is true. It's timeless. That he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow that he does not change. Paul's mission simply was to bring the light, to reveal the great truth to the Gentiles and the Jews being one in him. Look at verses 10 and 11. We see the purpose of the ministry. 
is really revealing the mystery of the church. Notice it says that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, notice, to the church, to the rulers, to the authorities, those that are in heavenly places. And namely, he's talking about, again, angels that are holy and angels that are unholy. Both are pictured in the scripture. The scripture emphasizes holy angels, but there are unholy angels. Those are demons. They're fallen angels. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created, both in heavens, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. These angels were created for him to bring glory to him, but also they're ministering spirits for you and me. Maybe you've been at a point, you were in an automobile accident and and, and all of a sudden your wheel turns. And it's not you. And you've been spared by God. Guardian angels, we talk about it. It's that same thing. They're ministering spirits in so many ways in our life. Now, the church is, is not the end. It's not all about the church. The church, yes, is the bride of Christ. That's true. But the means, really, God, the end, is glorifying God magnifying him. That's the main purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. Well, how do we manifest that? That it is the wisdom before angels when God saves a sinner. Again, we know that the angels in heaven praise God, hallelujah. Again, it's so important to understand. Notice again in Matthew 16, 18, I will also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He's able to keep them until that day. Now Israel and the church are never one. The, the, the church, we talked about that earlier, was a dispensation. It's the dispensation of grace. And God's going to take the church. He's going to rapture the church out one day and then he's going to deal that last seven years with Israel to wake up that nation Shake up those heathen, those gentle. The last chance to get saved before he returns that second time. Again, Luke 15, 10. This is in the same way. I tell you that there is joy in the presence of all the, the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every one of us, every day, need to confess and repent our sins. This is the way that you prevent your heart from searing it. This is the way you keep your, your conscience tender before God. Well, there's a privilege in verses 12, 13, where we'll finish. The privilege of this ministry is when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we can freely come to God and share all of heaven's infallible riches. You know, sadly, when you stop and think in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people would come, it was only... One time a year, only the high priest could go into the holies of holies where the presence of God was. One time a year. But for you and me, we can boldly go to that throne of grace. Look at Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin, therefore let us draw near, notice, with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. 
you know, that very, very thing, I think that, that privilege of that ministry is that I can boldly come to that throne of grace. I need mercy. I need grace each and every day. You know, I need that boldness to share the faith, the boldness to come up here. You know, so many pastors I know, when they stand up here, you don't know what's going on inside them. There's a spiritual battle going on. And many of them, they've never got used to it. They go up week after week and look as calm as can be. But there's a fear, there's a battle going on within them. A battle in their mind. And they come boldly to the throne of grace and God gives them that grace. We can boldly go to that throne of grace. We have that assurance. And Paul's saying in light of such an awesome privilege, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf where they are for your glory. God's in control of these circumstances. In and through every circumstance of his children, God is working his goodness, his blessing, his glory. Philippians 1.12 says this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul knew that all that he was going through was being used for the glory of God. Paul saw lives changing, being transformed, empowered, set free from the bondage of the sin they were at. And Paul says, this is enough. And he laid his own feelings aside and he pressed on day in and day out. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word that is timeless, your word that, that excites us, your word that empowers us knowing that your word lives in us, your spirit lives in us, that we are one Jew and Gentile. We're one no matter what culture, one because of you and what you have done. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that love. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives as we surrender our lives to you each and every day. We praise you for who you are. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.